Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. I was going to talk today about, oh, before I forget, prayer tomorrow night. It's in the newsletter that uh, prayer is canceled. We normally, uh, if there is a school holiday uh, or something, if the schools are closed, the banks are closed, whatever, we usually close the offices and anything that's scheduled for that day, we don't have it. But Monday night, uh, prayer is still on. There's too much going on in the world to, to uh, stop the prayer meeting. Uh, so, we're gonna, so those of you who can make it, appreciate if you would, uh, we'd appreciate having you here tomorrow night as usual. Today, I was going to talk about King Asa. I referenced him a week or so ago, and I wanted to kind of re-preach that sermon you know, add you know, a few observations again, maybe from a different, uh, uh, in a different context. But the more I prayed and the more I thought and the more I tried to write about King Asa, I kept coming back to more David and Goliath. So we're going to look at some more of that story today. Our focus last week was on the fact that when David went out to kill Goliath, he was doing so for God's glory. Get last week's message if you weren't here, if you haven't heard it downloaded or something. Everything about his speech, everything about his attitude, uh, everything that we see in scripture indicates that David was determined to kill Goliath as soon as he heard about him, as soon as he heard the threats, as soon as he heard the challenge. He was offended that nobody had killed this uncircumcised Philistine and he was going to do it for the glory of God. But also central to the sermon, was that he was interested in what the king had promised to the man who killed Goliath. He wasn't killing him for the rewards. He wasn't killing him for the benefits. He was going to kill him for God's glory. But since the benefits had been offered, he wanted to hear more about it. All that to say, I'm not going to re-preach that, but all that to say, keep your eyes on the prize. We live to glorify God and enjoy him forever, but you don't get extra points for nobility or humility by refusing the benefits. Hear me? You go in for a job interview, maybe it's your dream job, maybe it's the job you were trained for, you feel most qualified for it, and they offer you this position, and it's an important job. First of all, they say, uh, the job pays $168,000 a year. Are you going to say, no, 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 I'm not doing this for the money. I'm doing this because it's an important job, and it makes me feel fulfilled. No, you're not, probably not going to say that. But when they say, well, it also comes with benefits. Health insurance for you and your family. Dental, full dental for you and your family. Company car. Are you going to go, no, 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 that's too much. It's just enough to have the job and the salary. It's included. It's the benefits. You're not, you'd be a fool to turn it down, right? Same thing with God, right? There are benefits. We're not, it's, I get it. Salvation is huge. It is the thing. But we're not being noble or humble if we say, Lord, it's just enough that I get to go to heaven when I die. I'm not going to bother you about this healing stuff. I'm not going to bother you about this abundant provision stuff. I don't even expect your divine protection. I'm just going to live my life and glorify you all I can. And then when I die, I get to be with you. And God's like, yeah, I'm looking forward to being with you forever too, but I'm offering you these benefits. It's included in the salvation package. It's already paid for. Take it by faith. All right. Now maybe I'm going to preach that sermon again. All right. Today, I want to look at something else from that story, and it's not some hidden truth. You've seen it. I'm just stirring you up by way of reminder, but open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And this is when word had come to Saul that there was somebody saying they were going to take on this giant, and it was David. 
David and Saul had met before. I'm not going to rehash that history. It's a little bit confusing. There are two or three chapters here where you'll wonder if the timeline's messed up. It's really not. It's, it's, it's fairly easy to make sense of as long as you don't make certain assumptions and as long as you allow for the fact that much more time has passed than it appears between one paragraph and another. But at this point, uh, the, the king, in ver- beginning of verse uh, 30, actually 33, Sorry, I think I had 31, 17, 33. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go, up, go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Now, I'm not saying that David would not have fought Goliath anyway. I am saying that having fought and killed a lion and a bear made the decision a little easier. You think I'm stretching things a little bit? No, that's not even a reach, is it? Uh, I've shared this story with you before, it's, and, but I, and I, I'm going to again. Not a big story, just about my close encounter with a bear. The time that I wrestled a bear and seized it and killed it? No, I didn't. didn't. Didn't quite get to that point, thank God. It was our last day in the field uh, from a, a field exercise, our annual training with the National Guard, and we were breaking camp, literally breaking camp, and the first sergeant peels up next to me in this Jeep. This is right before we got the Hummers. And, uh, sir, sir, guess what? There's a bear in the commo tent. You want to go see it? Yeah, I want to see it. So I hop in and we peel over, and we were wondering why we weren't getting anybody on the radios and the phones. Well, it's because the bear had cleared everybody out. So we went over to uh, headquarters in the field, and uh, we could see a group of uh, officers and NCOs kind of standing on this rise, and they wave at us. They say, come this way, but be careful. The bear's down a trail right over there. So we go walking up to meet them, and we look down this trail, and it's probably from me to Pastor Mike. That's where the bear was. And so we stop and look, and he's eating. He's got, his whole, he's got a hold of somebody's food. He had a bag of crackers or an MRE or something. He's just eating it. And uh, First Sergeant and I stood there and looked at it for a minute. And then he goes to walk, and I pull my camera out. I sling my rifle. I pull the camera out. Click. And as soon as that camera clicked, the bear looks up. Hmm? And I'm looking at him, and he go, all, this is all he did. <laughs> he flexed. He gave a little, not a roar, just a grunt, and just, he moved him, just, he didn't even take a step, he just moved his, he just like shook his muscles, he flexed, and he did it so fast that it sent a message to me, I could be on you in two seconds if I wanted to be. This was a black bear, this wasn't a grizzly, okay? I knew, but my blood ran cold. As soon as he did that, I was like, <clears throat> and everybody up there on the hill started laughing at me because they could see the wetness appearing down the legs of my Tammy's. So then I walk up to uh, safety, 
safety in numbers, right? And we watch this bear as he makes his way back over to the commo tent, then he climbs up into a vehicle, climbs out, Sergeant Major goes up there with this big stick and actually starts shoving the bear around. And we're all like, Sergeant Major, you don't need to prove anything to us. Get back over here. We don't want to have to write a letter to your family. And, and uh, then he wanders out to a Jeep. And uh, some, I, I remember the guy's name, but it doesn't matter to you. Some Major had all his stuff in there. And they said, uh, what's he going to find? What's he going to find in your Jeep there, Major? Oh, nothing. It's all military. Next thing you know, he's pulling out this bag of Fruit Loops or something like that. And dragging it over, and he'd, he'd grab some food, bring it back, grab some food, bring it back, like he was getting it all together. Uh, she, I guess. And we're all just standing there. And at this point, the vehicle that the bear's in, about as far as from me to Jake back there, and he would come back about half the distance, drop the food, and then go back and get some more. And we're all just standing there, line, just lined up watching, and then the bear starts walking toward us. And we're like, uh-oh. I mean, we couldn't go this way because there was a cub up in the tree behind us, and you don't want to move toward a bear's cub, right? So we're standing there while the bear walks right up to us and sniffs us. I mean, physically puts her nose on us one by one, walking down the row of us, and I am sweating because I've got candy in my pockets. I think I had a piece, uh, one of those little containers of jelly from breakfast that had burst in my pocket. And I'm like, oh, no. How good do I smell to this bear? And the bear just snipped us and walked off. But there was no doubt in my mind at any time that that bear could have mauled any one of us. But if I had, even out of the blue, even if I hadn't been threatened, when that bear came up to me, if I had taken it upon myself to seize it by the fur, pull my knife out and stab it, or club it to death, they would still be speaking my name in whispers and awe today. I would have a plaque in the armory. I could not muster the courage. There is something about that. There's something that always, it kind of makes me laugh when I read the Bible about these extraordinary things that happen, and they are so understated when you just read them. But you picture these conversations really happening, and then you picture these things actually happening. And I think back, not only that, that David, you know, his first battle obviously wasn't with Goliath. He was referred to as a man of valor and even a man of war before that, probably because of encounters like this. It probably wasn't just one lion and one bear. There were probably other animals that he had to chase off. And here's the thing that gets me. You know, starting as a young man, I mean, probably, uh, probably started watching those sheep when he, was, when he was barely a teenager, and he'd be out there alone at night. This is probably when he pondered things that eventually became psalms like, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers. He's out there, and it was dark back then. I was, I was outside in my backyard last night trying to look, trying to locate certain uh, constellations and a galaxy, and there's just so much wash from the surrounding lights that you can't see anything. Have you ever been someplace where it's really dark, no moon out? Man, it can be, it's, it's glorious, but it can also be a little scary. I can remember one time, I'm rambling a lot, I'm sorry, but it's not a super long message, so let me ramble. We went to uh, a family camp, what, three times with the Methodist Church when we were kids, 
our parents took us to Methodist uh, family camp over there in Lewiston or someplace. And uh, it was fun. We always had a great time. But one time we'd go up there, we'd have these evening get-togethers up in the big lodge where everybody was. And Dad sent me back down the hill to the cabin to get something. And there was nothing, I was probably 11, and there was nothing to be afraid of. And I've never been, no, remember ever being afraid of the dark, but there was something scary about walking from the lodge down this path, down the hill, by myself, in the dark, in the woods. There was nothing I was afraid of, but I was afraid. And I would have felt so much better if, just, if I just had anybody with me. We are just way braver when we're not alone, right? That's the natural order of things. Now, the, every now and then, nature produces a weirdo like my son. I'll tear this, tell this story. I'm not sure it's a great example of fatherhood, but when Riley was about four, and we lived in, right in the middle of St. Joe down there, 5th and Lincoln, uh, it's like 9 o'clock at night. It's dark. And uh, I just, out of the blue, said, Hey, Riley, why don't you walk down to Casey's and buy me a newspaper? No way am I going to let him walk. He's four years old. I'm not going to let him walk down the street to 150 and buy me a newspaper. He says, yep, I'll go. I said, all right, here you go. And I gave him a 50-cent piece. Now let me explain something. 50 cents is what we used to pay for a newspaper back in the day, kids. And I like, I always collected 50-cent pieces, silver dollars, so I flip him a coin. He grabs it, sticks it in his pocket, and bolts out the door. And I'm looking at Beth like, he's really going to do this. So I went out the door after him. I wait till he crosses the street, and I stay in the shadows on the other side of the street, and this kid walks all the way to Casey's without even turning around. Doesn't, he doesn't hesitate. He's just choking. He's focused. He doesn't look to see if anybody's following him, and of course I am. I'm never that far away from him, but he never detected me because he wasn't looking for me. That's, that's just weird. I only bring it up because it's weird. You know, I expect the kid to be a little bit nervous after he gets out in the dark, and I, and I follow him. As soon as he goes in the door, I'm right behind him, and I open it, and he turns around, and he's mad. Dad, I thought you were going to let me do this by myself. <laughs> Are you crazy? I'm not going to let you do this by yourself. <sighs> why, did I, why did I tell that story? Because there's something about David. David being out there alone at night, surrounded by not just sheep, but the possibility of wild animals. It made him brave, but it also did this. I'm convinced that David knew at a very early age that he was never alone. The David that bravely faced those lonely nights and bravely faced those animals is the David that wrote, Whither can I go from thy presence? Everywhere I go, thou art with me. And he cultivated an awareness of that, cultivated that relationship and he was very passionately in love with God and knew God very well as his Lord, as his protector, before he ever faced Goliath. God knew that there was a battle in David's future, a battle with Goliath. And he allowed the bear and the lion, he allowed these adventures to prepare David for another battle. If you fought a bear and a lion with your bare hands or with, you know, didn't have, he had a sling, he probably had a stick, but you're going to fight a lion or a bear with those. I'm, it's, Goliath, still, he's a trained man of war, but suddenly that looks a lot less scary. Suddenly you're something, ah, I've, I've, faced, I've faced things like this before. 
And again, not to suggest that David couldn't have or wouldn't have anyway, but God put things in his life to prepare him for that battle. A couple of other things, though. I want you to see this back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse 6. Now, this is when Samuel, he's moping about King Saul, and God says, don't waste your time fretting over King Saul anymore. He's lost it. You take your oil and go to a play, go to Jesse's house, and you're going to anoint one of his sons to replace King Saul. Uh, but when he gets to that area, you'll see when you read this, if you read the whole passage, that he doesn't announce that intention to anybody. When people ask him, uh, hey, Samuel, what are you doing here? He says, I just came to offer a sacrifice, and I'm inviting Jesse and his boys to the sacrifice with me. So it was then, in verse 6, so it was when they came that, that he looked at, and uh, so he has him, bring, hey, bring me your sons. One by, I want to see all of your boys. Now, he might have, but Scripture doesn't tell us that he told Jesse why. He says, I'm here, I'm inviting you to the sacrifice, now I want to see your boys. But he knows that one of these boys is going to be the king. Sorry, now verse 6 again. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his, his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For, the Lord, for, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? And he said, There remains the youngest, yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David and from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. It's actually probably Ramah, but I like to say Ramah so I can tell everybody I went to the same school that Samuel went to. Now here's a question, and I'm not trying to muddy the waters here or anything. Did David know what the anointing was about? I don't know. I mean, I, it doesn't matter in the final analysis. But all he knows is that Samuel poured oil on him. He'd been anointed for something. It wasn't a, you are hereby the new king. But something happened there. Two things. He knew that it meant something. He knew that God had a plan for him. Because they knew who Samuel was. They knew that this anointing was significant. All of them knew that. I want you to look at something. In uh, Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. 
So when he, he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God by, for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now most of you know what happened next. An angel appears and frees Peter miraculously, leads him, not only gets him out of his chains, but leads him out of the prison, and Peter's free to go to where his company is praying for him. But here's what I wanted you to see, and you've seen this before. This is the night before his execution, and he is sleeping between two guards. What is it that allows a person to sleep in a situation like this? In fact, when the angel appeared, he had to kick Peter awake. He wasn't just sleeping, he's sleeping soundly. How? John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verse 18, these are the words of Jesus to Peter. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, so on one hand, this is uh, not necessarily the kind of word you get from Jesus that makes you rejoice and speak it over yourself every day. On the other hand, uh, he told Peter something, that you'll be old. When you're an old man, you're going to die this kind of death. They're going to stretch out your arms. He's going to be crucified. Now, he did not know that night whether Herod would change his mind or something like that would happen. But he knew this, I'm not old. Therefore, it's not my time to die. I think I'll go to sleep. David had a confidence born of this encounter with Samuel. He knew that he was destined for something, that he was called to something, that he was anointed to do something. Even if he didn't know, and it doesn't mean he didn't know. He might have known. This means I'm going to be king someday. But what's that mean? It means he's not going to die in battle with a lion or a bear or Goliath. It emboldened him. That simple act of anointing equipped him to face something that many people were afraid to face. But it also says this in that same sentence. The spirit of the Lord came upon him from that day forward. And that changes a person. Just after that, just after this anointing uh, episode, we read about the distressing spirit that troubled King Saul. Do you remember that? He'd go into this wildly deep depression. And uh, we don't know. I, you can't tell just from this, this passage how much time had passed between uh, Samuel anointing David and when Saul had this distressing spirit. But uh, at the advice of his staff, Saul commands that a person be brought to him who is skillful on the harp, who, who can play and soothe his troubled soul. And uh, one of them mentions that, hey, I, I know there's a son of Jesse who is skillful with the harp. He's a man of valor. He's a good-looking man, and the Lord is with him. You see, when the Spirit of the Lord is with you, you are not the only one who knows it. Hear me? 
when you are full of the Spirit of God, you can't be the only one who knows it. The Spirit of the Lord, according to this passage, makes you prudent of speech, valiant, skillful, make you handsome, apparently. Now, it just says that he was handsome. He's a good-looking man. One last thing, one last detail about this, uh, and we will quit for this week and pick up the theme next week. We fast forward a few years back to the Goliath thing. After he gets permission from Saul to fight him, and then he, you remember Saul says, well, if you're going to go take my armor, and he puts his armor on David, and David says, I'm not used to walking around in this stuff. I can't. Takes his sling. And uh, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. One of the most often asked questions in this passage is this. Why five stones? Why five stones? Because the first question, if you're teaching this from a faith perspective, didn't you only need one? Just as it's, it's, uh, God is not limited to save by the many or the few, it doesn't matter whether I have a thousand soldiers with me or ten soldiers with me, the battle belongs to the Lord. It doesn't matter if I have five stones with me or one, why not just bring one? Some have suggested that the five stones represent the five ministry gifts, as we see in Ephesians chapter 4. Some have taught that in Scripture the number five is associated with grace, provision, and fullness. Uh, a more pedestrian suggestion uh, points out that Goliath had four brothers, which he did, or four relatives anyway. One was certainly a brother, but they were this was a family of giants. Uh, but there's nothing here to indicate that David knew that, or that if he knew that, that these, these guys, that the brothers were even present at this battle. Now some have, I've, I've, I've seen at least I think I have articles or sermons written on David did his homework. And he knew that there was more than just Goliath, but it seems like once he went out there, that's the first time he saw Goliath, right? But he may have known. But I'll tell you what I think the significance of the five stones is. Are you ready? David knew that he would be victorious over Goliath, but he didn't worry about how many tries it would take. How's that for deep water? I don't know how big these stones were. Probably bigger than pebbles. And I don't know how big the shepherd's bag was, but maybe it's something as simple as five is all you could fit in there without jamming them in there. He wanted them loose enough to pull out quickly. The point is, he was prepared to keep fighting. If the first rock missed, if the first rock missed, or if it only stunned Goliath, he was prepared to pull out another stone, and another, and another, and another. For that matter, even if he knew that that stone that struck its mark, he was going to kill him, he was ready for what? The next battle. Whether it's Goliath's brothers or not. Talked about this last week. David went out and fought Goliath. But that could just as well have been the first salvo, which it turned out to be. I mean, the, the, 
uh, Israel's army went rushing down in there and, and, and chased and slew the Philistines after that. It wasn't just like, okay, Goliath lost, guess we'll go home, I guess we'll be your servants now. It just meant they were going to lose the whole battle, right? And David was ready. He wasn't just going to say, well, I killed Goliath, I'm done. He was ready to keep fighting if that's what it came to. There will always, always, always be a next battle. We're going to talk more in detail about that next week. But I've, uh, I don't know if I have time for this or not. I'll, I'll just tell you, I'll tell you a quick version of it. I keep saying I'm going to tell the full story again, but most of you have heard it. And I'll just, I, I think the, the, the illustration does fit here. But uh, when, when I had, uh, I can't remember the exact year, but Riley was real little. And uh, I had a terrible, terrible episode of sciatica. I mean, it flattened me. Went back to an injury I, I suffered on the job back in like 1993 or 4. No, 1995. And every now and then my back would just kind of get inflamed. It would stiffen up and hurt. Well, one day I got up and I could not walk. It was terrifying. It was Beth can testify just how bad this pain was. I had never experienced anything like it. But what happened it was, it, I mean, I started getting up. I always got up early, but I would immediately go out to a place in the living room and I would, I would uh, kneel there at the couch and just pray and pray and pray. And mostly what I did with that extra time was speak my healing. I claimed my healing. I spoke it over my back. I thanked God for it. And I can say this with 100% honesty. That pain, now, that pain didn't leave for at least a week. I'm talking about this, the first episode. It was a long week. And I can tell you honestly, it didn't really get better day by day. It hurt every day. But at the same time, I never doubted the presence of God. He seemed very, very there for me. So even though I was in pain, there, I don't remember during that first week ever despairing. It was like, I know this healing is mine. I just got to keep fighting this battle. I never gave up. I never just, it was like, mm, man, this is hard. This really hurts. I really, I'm so glad this is going to be over. But God was just comforting me in a very tangible way. And I got my healing. Praise God. And then almost exactly a year later, I woke up with the exact same thing. And uh, I don't want to fight this battle. I fought this battle before, but I fought it before. I can fight it again. Now, that part's good. I'm going to sound a little bit cocky, but I'd been through it before, right? I knew what to do, and I start speaking my healing. I start speaking my healing, and I'm declaring it, but from day one, it felt like my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. I felt, even though I'm saying the exact same thing, I'm standing on the exact same scriptures, I'm speaking the word of faith, and the truth of God's healing over my body, exactly like I had a year before, I felt like I was all by myself. I did not sense God's presence at all. Didn't let it change my confession. Because thank God, I've been in this long enough, and I've been in the Word long enough to know that you don't go by your feelings. I don't say, well, it doesn't feel like God's here, so I guess it's not working. It has nothing to do with how I feel, right? What does the Word say? He's always with me. His word continues to be true. But I'm not experiencing that comfort. So after this doesn't go away in a week, and after it doesn't go away in two weeks, after it doesn't go away in three weeks, I'm starting to despair, as Beth will tell you. 
it was wearying. And side note, young men, when you get married, when you decide it's time to take a wife, likewise, young women, when you decide to take a husband, marry a man of faith. Marry a woman of faith. Guys, marry a woman of faith. Women, marry a man of faith. Let's make that clear, okay? Faith. Not just somebody who believes in God, but somebody who believes what you know to be true about the Word of God. Because I love my wife, and nothing uh, could change that just in terms of our, my, just, I adore her. But I really appreciate her in times like that, because she's having to carry the burden. We've got a young, a young boy, very young boy, and uh, she's having to do so much by herself that I can't help with, because I can barely move. I, I, could, I could barely walk a few steps and, and had to have a cane, and most of the time I had to be uh, flat on my back. And she never stopped speaking the word with me. She would pass me, and every time she'd pass me, she'd just touch my head and say, thank you, God, for healing my husband. She spoke the word consistently with me. Thank God. But one night, right before, it was the, I was a youth pastor here at the time, and it was right before we were getting ready to, to have the youth Christmas party. And, uh, and I just broke down and started crying. Just, and it kind of shocked Beth. She didn't see it coming. But I'm just, I just start bawling because, not bawling, just kind of whimpering. Uh, but it was this beautiful, it was my favorite kind of night. It's like high 20s outside. The snow is falling thick, heavy flakes, no wind. And I wanted to be nothing more than to be out in it. Walking around, carrying Riley, rolling around in the snow. And I knew I couldn't. And I was just feeling sorry for myself. And she's like, baby, what's wrong? I said, I just feel bad. I just feel tired. I want to enjoy this, and I can't. I'm, just, I'm tired of this. I'm sick of this. And she prays for me. We go to the party, and I, I suffer through it, and I get up the next morning, and I, she's had to come down here with, the, uh, with, I guess, with Riley. I guess we had both kids at the time. I don't remember what year this was. But she came down because uh, she was involved in the Christmas program. And she said, do you want to come? I said, anything better than sitting in the house, you know, just hurting. I can go down to the church and hurt. And, uh, and I sat out there in the lobby, leaning on my cane, <clears throat> grunting in pain. And that's when uh, Roger, sorry, thought I could get through this. So when Roger came out of men's prayer, came out of the fellowship hall and said, hey, Pastor, uh, Pastor Scott, we, were, uh, we just prayed for you. He says, Ken Beatty stood up in men's prayer and said, I'm going to stand here and I want you guys to lay hands on me like you're laying hands on Pastor Scott and you're just going to speak healing into his back. And as soon as he told me that, he'll tell you, I just started bawling. I mean, you talk about water. It wasn't just a, it was, <laughs> I mean, I'm just snotty, it's gross, you know, ugly cry, right? And uh, I don't know if he knew what was going on, but it was just this cathartic moment because what I saw at that moment was, I felt like I had done everything I could. I had swung my sword. I had spoken the word faithfully, daily, and never felt like God was there. I knew he was, but I couldn't feel it. I never sensed it, and I'm not getting even incrementally better. It's just bad, and I'm doing everything I could, and I felt like I had fallen to my knees in complete exhaustion. My sword is on the ground, and I'm ready to give up, and I turn around, and what do I see? I see 20, 30 strong men holding their swords fighting for me. This is a completely different sermon now. It's why we need the church. It's why we need the brothers and the sisters. 
as we fight one another's battles, we fight with, we join our faith with others. And I can tell you, at that very moment, it's like my fuel gauge went to full. And I walked out of here that morning knowing, refreshed. Now I felt like I did a year ago when I was fighting the same battle. God is with me, and I know it. And I start speaking, or I continue to speak it. And I would love to tell you that the next morning I was all better, but I wasn't. I wasn't any better. Monday morning, I wasn't any better. Tuesday morning, I wasn't any better. And yet, my fuel, my fuel gauge stayed on full. I had been refreshed by what I can only describe as a vision. And I knew that I knew. Just like I knew before, but now I know that I know. Healing is coming, but it's not coming incrementally. By Wednesday, I was still no better. And then Thursday, I woke up whole. Completely healed. Now listen, that second battle was way tougher than the first one. But I was able to stay that course at least partly because I had been through the first one. Do you understand? I knew I'd experienced God's healing before. Now, having fought that one, I, I just declare, the next battle I fight, the next big battle I fight is not going to be that one again. <laughs> but whatever I face, I experienced an instantaneous, miraculous healing. It didn't come as soon as I wanted it to, but when it happened, it happened in such a way that I knew it wasn't simply recovery. Once you've been through a battle, you've been battle-tested. Just remember two things. Remember this. There will always be another battle. As long as you're on this earth, there'll be another battle. But everything you go through, every victory you win, equips you for the next battle. Where what? Victory is also always promised. Mark Redman one of my instructors back at Ramah, back at Ramah, used to say this all the time. He said, doing the human part poorly doesn't make the God part more effective. Doing the human part poorly doesn't make the God part more effective. This is going back to the five stones. David was a man of faith, man of valor. He knew God, but he had a pouch there, and he was going to fill it with all the ammunition he could fit. I'm taking five rocks, because why not? Prepare yourself. Don't wait until the battle comes to train for battle, to prepare for battle, to arm yourself. Put on the armor of God every day. Amen? And finally this. Remember, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David and enabled him to do this stuff. People knew the Spirit of the Lord was on him. Uh, and this was a powerful, powerful moment. But we live in an age, and we live in a time, thank God, where the Spirit has been poured out on whom? All flesh. Does that mean everybody's full of the Spirit? Nope. But he is there to fill everyone who will receive him. Stand up with me for a moment. When you are saved, God changes you. Most of you know that. Probably all of you know that. When you decide to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you are not simply accepting a set of beliefs. You are not simply embracing doctrine. You are being born again. God is making you 
a new creature, a new creation. So there should be, it should be like they said of David, the Spirit of the Lord is with him. People should see that the Spirit of the Lord is with you. But also, remember this, that Jesus, who was physically with his disciples for three years, told them right before he ascended, and he'd given them the commission. He already told them, you're going to go into all the world, preach the gospel, lay hands on the sick, cast out demons. But then he said this, he goes, tarry here in Jerusalem, wait here until you receive the promise of the Father. What do you say would happen when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. Now he was saying this to believers. So there is salvation which we must have if we hope to inherit heaven. But there is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has been poured out. But if you're a believer and you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit then you haven't received all the power you need to be everything he's called you to be and do everything he's called you to do. We were never meant to do this without the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So, before we receive from the Lord's table today, I want to give anybody uh, the opportunity to respond to two invitations. One is for salvation. Have you made Jesus Christ your Lord? The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Is there a process after that of growing in faith? There absolutely is. But the moment you make that decision, you are in the kingdom, you are in the family of God. That's salvation. Does anybody desire to become a Christian this morning? All right. If you are a believer, you've made the decision to follow Christ, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Have you received that power? Are you walking in a way that the world can see God's with him. God's with her. Do you desire the infilling of the Holy Spirit this morning? If you do, raise your hand. I'm not going to have you come up here. I'm just going to, I'm going to lead you in a prayer uh, that you can, uh, you can pray from where you are and just receive the gift that God says he gives everybody who asks. He never says no. Anybody desire to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit today? Okay. So I'm looking at a room that's pretty much full of Holy Ghost-filled, saved folks. Amen. Uh, why don't you remain in an attitude of worship, uh, but be seated as we prepare to receive from the Lord's table. And I'll read this from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now the broken body, among other things, reminds us of the benefits. The package of salvation is ultimately spiritual but it includes redemptive benefits for the here and now in this body. I hate to be the guy that says, amen, amen, but can I get an amen about that? Have you experienced in this life the redemptive benefits of the broken body of Christ? I just told you one where I have. 
And we're talking about provision here and now, protection here and now, and healing here and now. The blood of Christ is what qualifies us for all of his blessings. Here and in the life to come. When we talk about the Spirit of God being poured out, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is only available to those who have been washed clean by the blood of Christ. This is what we celebrate today, that everything that God says, not just here is what I will do for you, here is what I will give you, all of those things, all those promises, we inherit because we are made righteous by the blood of Christ, but also here's what I will do through you, here's what I will use you for. All of this is because we have been redeemed and made fit for the master's service. It's like he needs... Uh, needs he, he, he has in his sovereignty decided to use us to do the job and he needs perfectly sound and clean vessels to carry his healing to carry his salvation so what does salvation do salvation washes us clean and then he fills us with the spirit and us these vessels we filled, filled with the spirit are carrying that power that healing that provision that message of salvation to the world we must be clean by the blood filled with the Spirit. But I said, this is what we celebrate today. So uh, did, does everybody have, I should have asked this before, did everybody get, uh, everybody who needs one get the communion elements on the way in? And did you solve the puzzle of releasing the wafer from the top? Let's take the bread. Heavenly Father, thank you for the broken body of Jesus Christ. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for reminding us in your word that you know what we're made of because you are the one who made us. You made us body, soul, and spirit. And we thank you for the redemption of the body even that we experience in the here and now. We thank you that it's also a reminder of the glorified body we will enjoy in the life to come. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing your body to be broken to provide us with wholeness that only you can provide. Thank you for the bread in Jesus' name. We take the cup of the new covenant, built on new and better promises, right? Heavenly Father, thank you for the cup. Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you, Lord, for the cleansing, for the righteousness that we experience as a result of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you that because we're righteous, we are qualified for every good promise you make in your word. Help us to always recognize those promises when we see them, and help us to always remember, always remember that the only reason they are ours is because of the blood. Thank you for the cup in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Hang on to those cups. There'll be a garbage can. You can throw them in on your way out. And uh, on your way out also, you can deposit your offering. If you are giving cash this morning and you need an envelope, you, you could have grabbed one on the way in, but if you need one, ushers can get you one now. Checks, of course, are made out to Living Word Family Church or simply LWFC. I want to thank you, as always, for your continued faithfulness regarding the tithe and the offering. It's a blessing to be able to continue to be a blessing. Uh, and that this is the biblical way that we acknowledge that God is our supply by obeying him when it comes to returning a portion of that supply back to him in the form of tithes 
and offerings. Uh, thank you also, those of you who uh, at home have uh, been very generous with your online giving as well. If you've got questions about that, you can go to Tithely. That's, that's the app that this church use, uses for electronic giving. If you've got questions, you can contact us about that. But thank you for your faithful giving, even from home. Are you ready to give this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for everything you've spoken to us, every seed you've planted in us. I declare now that living word is good ground and every individual in this room is good ground, meaning that we've received your word implanted and that it is going to germinate, it is going to grow, and it's going to bear fruit in our lives, not just for our benefit, but for the growth of your kingdom, the establishment of your kingdom, and the spreading of your gospel in the earth today. To that end also, Lord, we celebrate the opportunity to give into the work of your kingdom. We believe that every penny that is given today is going to be supernaturally productive, that lives will be saved, lives will be changed, bodies will be healed, people will be delivered because of our obedience to sow this seed. Father, we also believe it's going to benefit us. You said you give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. As we give, it will also be given to us good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. We receive that by faith. We give joyfully. We give obediently. We give expectantly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you give. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.